but cash flow focus can be much more stable and predictable than trying to predict equity or what stock's gonna go up and double or things like that. No one really has those answers. Hello, and thank you for joining us today on the Gentle Art of Crushing It show, where we focus on learning and sharing with our listeners all there is to know about how to create success in our lives. This show stands on the shoulders of giants. Our mission is to empower and inspire our listeners to create the life of their dreams whilst having a blast in the process. Let's celebrate life together. Welcome to the show. All right. Welcome back to the Gentle Art of Crushing It podcast, Passive Investing Edition. My name is Randy Smith, and I'll be your host today. And we have an amazing guest for us today, Travis Watts. Travis is the Director of Investor Educations for Ashcroft Capital. He's invested in over 50 LP positions, and he is a guy that I have been following for years in this space. So super excited to have you on the show, Travis. Welcome. Uh, thanks so much, Randy. Good to catch up again. Awesome. Well, hey, why don't, why don't we just go ahead and jump right in? Can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and kind of your journey to the passive investing space? Sure, we'll dive into that. I'll kind of give you an alternative story. I, I don't usually come from this point of view, but basically, if there is a claim to fame, I would put it this way, and that's that in my early 20s, I started getting into real estate, always had the idea or the ambition to uh, build up passive income streams that I could end up living on long term. So the way I went about that is the way a lot of people approach real estate investing when they're new, and that's buying single family homes and renting them out. So I did all kinds of little strategies for about six and a half years from having roommates, which is now called house hacking, apparently, fix and flips, vacation right. rentals, buy and holds, that kind of stuff, doing it all myself, thinking naively that I'm going to scale this thing up to having you know 100 single family homes and I'm just going to pull the plug and retire. But I didn't realize that, you know, first of all, my W-2 job was like 98 hours per week. So that was quite a load in itself. And then trying to scale this was so active, even though I had property managers helping me and, you know, lots of help from, from lots of angles, but it still was a lot of active involvement. I still had to show up to closings. I still had to do underwritings. I still had to submit offers. You know, there was, there was a lot involved. And so not even 20% of the way to that goal of having a hundred properties. And I, I burned out basically. And mm. so that's at the point that I said, okay, I got to get real with myself. I don't know what I don't know. Perhaps I should look for some mentors or other people who are highly successful in this real estate space and see what they're up to. So I joined a uh, pretty large real estate meetup group out in Boulder, Colorado, and the facilitator and his partner had sold their companies in the mid 1990s and they had become kind of overnight investors. They never an anticipated a windfall like what they, they had from that sale. And so they had to go put that capital somewhere. And it turns out that a primary place that they parked their capital was in something called real estate private placements or syndications. And this was foreign language to me. I had no idea what that meant. And I had no idea that you could actually partner in large commercial real estate, like a 400 unit apartment building with as little as 25K to 50K sometimes. And that's exactly what these guys were doing. So they had probably, if I had to guess, over 100 limited partnership positions in various projects across the nation. 
And the beauty was it was a hands-off approach where I could get all the same benefits that I was getting doing it all myself, right? So they could still use leverage and debt, still get tax advantages, still get monthly distributions, still have equity upside, but they didn't have to be a landlord. And that's what was killing me is being a landlord. So with that, um, have my W-2 job, saved as much money as I could save, was putting all of that toward passive income producing assets, much of which was real estate. And in 2015 and 16, decided to sell off my single family homes and really take that strategy serious since they had opened up to me freely as mentors to you know help me learn that path. And so I've been on that path ever since. It's been, I don't know, seven, eight years. I'm bad at math. But uh, anyway, just been a full-time LP ever since and a few years ago, joined up with uh, Joe Fairless and Ashcroft Capital to leverage my outreach, to help share with people how you can build diversified income streams that you can use to enhance your lifestyle or switch to part-time work instead of full-time work or maybe retire. You know, it's a beautiful thing. I was able to help my dad, who worked at the post office over 30 years of his career, retire primarily off of real estate and primarily off of syndications because he was looking through the lens of the traditional Wall Street world saying, okay, I did all the right things I was told to do. My 401k, my IRA, et cetera. Mm -hmm. How do I now convert this nest egg into passive income? And at the time when he retired, he's looking around saying, well, bonds are 2% yield and the bank's not paying me anything and annuities are you know, 3%. How am I supposed to retire on passive income? And so it, it can really lead to something called time freedom. That's the term I like to use. And for him, it was about, he, he wanted time, time away from work. He wanted retirement. He wanted time with, with me, my sisters, family. And so the bigger picture here is not about dollars and cents. It's about freeing up your time. And you can do that through private placements. And that's primarily why I chose that as my primary niche. So that's kind of the story awesome. in a nutshell. Yeah. So there's a ton, ton to unpack there. And it's a similar journey we hear time and time and time again about people know that real estate is most likely a path to this time freedom that we're all searching for and financial freedom as well. Um, and the easiest thing it seems like to jump into is that single family space. I did the same thing. I've interviewed dozens of other people that have done exactly that. So um, I know part of your journey is helping to educate folks on passive investing initially. Do you think it actually is a, is a good path to go down the single family space or is it better to just jump right into passive investing initially? I certainly have my own opinions, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. It's a great question. I've been asked this a lot. You know, if you could rewind sure. back to your first deal, Travis, would you have been a passive investor? The answer is yes and no. Uh, yes, mm -hmm. in the sense that I would have done some kind of investment that yielded some passive income. However, I was more equity focused in the beginning because I needed to build up more of a nest egg in order to have enough capital to generate meaningful passive income. So I always like to think of it like this. If you had uh, you know, $1 million to invest and you found something yielding 10% a year, that's a hundred grand. So it, it all of a sudden starts to be a little bit life-changing. You know, a hundred grand can help a lot of people in a lot of ways. But if you're talking about having $500 to your name and that's what you have to invest, would you go do something 
at a 10% yield, it's just not going to be life-changing, right? So I think there's a lot of benefits to learning the foundation of real estate. If that's what you want to do, if that's your interest, if you think, maybe I want to be a house flipper, maybe I want to be a general partner in syndication, maybe I want to be the person because you know, I'm a handyman or handywoman, or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I have a background in this, or I come from a family of, of, of do it yourself. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why people are active in the space, but I learned the hard way going through the motions the wrong way, <laughs> not knowing mm-hmm. how to screen mm-hmm. tenants, not knowing how to do handyman work, not knowing how to build teams, not understanding the tax code. So I just made a lot of mistakes. And for me, it just became a headache and a hassle. And so I wasn't enjoying the active business of being in real estate. What I was enjoying is building passive income streams that just kept compounding to the point that I could say, hey, I don't want to work in oil and gas anymore. I want to go focus on something I actually enjoy and want to learn. You know, So I went to go work for a large brokerage firm, one of the largest in the world, and I got licensed, Series 763. I wanted to learn stocks, bonds, and mutual funds because investing was the core and the heart of what my passion is. Now, turns out that wasn't really the right path for me, and that's okay, but I had the Mm -hmm. backstop of having passive income every month to where I didn't need that job. I wasn't doing a job for the income. I was doing it for the experience, and I think Mm -hmm. that's a very rewarding place to put yourself in or to build up to is where you can you know, take a sabbatical. You can take six months off of work. You can, like I said earlier, transition to part-time work. You can go pursue what it is you're really interested in. So with all of that in mind, I, I, I like to tell this to the audience too. My nephews have kind of been watching my progress, right? They, their ages mm-hmm. are between 21 and, and 16 right now. And I open some brokerage accounts for them. And what we invest in are publicly traded REITs, real estate investment mm-hmm. trusts, because the barrier of entry is so low. They can, I can give them a hundred bucks in their brokerage for their birthday or something. They can go buy 10 shares of some REIT and then they can start seeing that they're getting paid every single month and they can yeah. start scaling that. And so every year for you know holidays, one-off occasions, Christmas, whatever, I give them money for their brokerage account. And so I'm teaching them the foundation, right? And so hopefully when they go get into their careers, they can start dumping thousands of dollars there and hopefully they can eventually become accredited investors and they can get into these larger deals and scale that up. So the point is somebody could start their passive journey with as little as $10, free brokerage account, 10 bucks, free trades, one share. There you go. Uh, In the private placement world, you're going to need at least 25,000 probably to get in. And then you know, it's just a different game and a different level, but it's the same strategy. You know, all I did with my mentors that I found back in 2015 is I just mimicked what they did as a strategy, right? I didn't have a hundred million net worth like they had or whatever it was. I'm, you know, roughly those numbers, but I was able to mimic the same results by just copying that strategy and subscribing to the philosophy that you invest for passive income not for potential equity. You know, the whole buy low, sell high is the whole Wall Street model. But as we know, in years like this year, that doesn't always pan out. (laughs) Right, right. Very good. Yeah, thank you for that. That's a, it's a much more detailed answer than I've gotten from folks in the past. And I think it's, it's, um, 
it's a neat, neat journey that you talked about, like literally everything from the $10 to $500 investor, all the way up to the folks with, you know, hundred million net worth. Um, in, when I look back at my time, um, I could have probably started with passive investing because I was bringing, you know, I, I leveraged a HELOC. I was bringing X amount of dollars to the table, you know, call it 50 or hundred grand. And yeah. by doing that, using the Burr strategy, ultimately I did create some equity, but at the end of the day, had I just taken hundred grand and put it in four different syndications over that three or four year period, I most likely would have ended up better off than I was even doing the burrs. So yeah, it's an interesting idea that, and I like that strategy of leveraging REITs when you may, maybe don't have the big dollars to put into it, but at least gets you into the mindset of investing in the real estate, seeing um, immediate benefit from those returns because you're yeah. not just sucking it away in a 401k or something like that. So interesting. Yeah. And I think because it's not mass marketed and talked about, you know, because Wall Street's system is just put your money in here and hopefully things go up over time. And then meanwhile, they collect fees throughout that period of time, right? That's that's how the system yeah. works. It's not marketed to talk about passive income very much. But I just think it, it can be so powerful to realize what implications that can have if you don't subscribe to the I'm going to maximize a 401k till I'm 65 and then take a peek at that. Mm -hmm. And hopefully it's enough, but you can start enhancing your lifestyle immediately through passive income at any age, even like my nephews, you know, one at 16 yeah. years old can start seeing, you know, every month I get $15 paid out to me and I didn't have to work or do anything for that. And I just hope that at some point that really clicks and they say, that 15 could become 1500 and that 1500 could become 15,000. I just have to scale this model and it's much easier yeah. to scale a passive model than it is an active model by telling them go, you know, buy one rental property a year until the day you die or something like that. It's trust me, that's yeah. uh that's hard. <laughs> well, and you know, I think it's a good point too in that I think a lot of people get into real estate because they want the get rich quick scheme. Yeah. Um but this is a this is a, a get rich slowly over time. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think kind of the perfect marriage is really trying to find an area where you can make good dollars as a W-2 income earner or a 1099, whatever that is. But you have to have the ability to generate income yeah. so then you can partner that with your passive investing strategy. And I know you've had different strategies over the years doing that. But do you have any advice maybe for the new the sure. new? Um, real estate investor that might want to go down that path? Well, I'll tell you what I did. And I, I did, I did four steps. Okay. And it was that number one, I earned as much as I could earn using my highest and best earning potential. And coincidentally, it's not what I went to college for. I completely 180 from my degree and I went into oil and gas because I could work 98 hours a week and get a ton of overtime and get bonuses and get per diems and get all this kind of stuff. So I ended up, hustling basically, and then doing active real estate on the side of that for even more income. So for me, that was yeah. my highest and best. Now I don't advocate people do exactly that. Of course, you just have to look at how much could you make and what extra things could you do for supplemental income on the side. Number two, I lived on as little as possible for a period of time. So I'm not one of those advocates of you know, use coupons till the day you die and buy the off brand and blah, blah, blah. It, it just take a period of time and, and put a, a little sacrifice in. Okay. So I was living like I was a college student still 
throughout most of my 20s, even though I had way more means to do a lot of different things with that money. Mm-hmm. Number three, I invested in things that produced passive income. And a lot of people don't realize how many options exist between ATM machines and self-storage and mobile home parks and car washes and multifamily and single family duplexes, house hacking, anything, man, getting a vending machine and having someone manage it. And then it's a cash flow to you. There's so many things you could do. The publicly traded REITs for $10 a share on some of those. So that's what I dump my money into. And over time, it just compounds. You know, when I put a hundred thousand into a syndication and then three to five years later, Let's just say, for example purposes, I I double my money. So now I have 200 grand. I sell, I pay a little bit of tax, and I diversify. And now I do two deals. So that one source of capital just turned into two streams of income. Now, when those sell, I'll, I'll divvy them up and I'll have four streams of income three to five years after that. And so it's a snowball. You know, we all start with one deal, one investment. It's always scary in the beginning, but it does compound. And so you know, Warren Buffett has a quote, something to the effect of never rely on one income source, create investments uh, to create a second source, basically. And I say create multiple sources. You know, I probably have 50 plus different streams of income. So it gives you so much more peace of mind and security that, you know, things happen in this world, you know, whether it's getting laid off of, of your job, whether it's a divorce or whether it's a medical expense, but to have a backstop throughout your lifetime that helps supplement your lifestyle can can be extremely meaningful and could really avoid a lot of problems that that people have financially. So it's just thinking differently, right? It's not the mm-hmm. whole buy low, sell high and and stock it away under the mattress till I'm 70 years old and hope it works out. <laughs> okay. So let, let me review if I can. The four steps I have, or actually I just had three, so I want to confirm the fourth, but I have basically make as much money as you can. Um, in whatever capacity that is. Number two, live cheap for a period of time um, or live frugally. Three, invest passively. And then four was... was... Yeah, sorry, I left off number four. Avoid bad debt. So what I mean by bad debt, this is the way I, I define bad debt. If you're paying interest on debt, that's higher than what you could otherwise achieve through an investment potentially, to me, that's bad debt. So we'll use the example of a credit card. You got 10 grand on it. You're paying 20% interest. And you think, well, if I invest, I could get 10% interest. Well, pay off the debt, right? Because it's 20%. Now, if we're talking about low interest, say you have student loans or something at 3%, well, you might consider otherwise investing at maybe 10% using some of that cash flow to help pay down that debt, if that's what you want to do, or just not pay down that debt. I mean, just just make your payments. I mean, sure. it's up to you. I'm not giving anybody financial advice. I'm just saying that's how I think of it. So my parents taught me at an early age, never, never, never keep up with the Joneses. There's always someone above you. There's always going to be yeah. the newer and better car and the bigger house and the, the more toys, yeah. but it's a trap. And you're going to end up trying to impress people that don't care about you. You're going to end up broke and you're probably going to lose everything anyway in the process. So I just, I don't subscribe to that. Anything I buy is for my own personal pleasure. And um, it's not about, you know, impressing other people. So number four, avoid bad debt. I love it. I love it. And never keep up with the Joneses. That could, we could just say that and say thank you. And that would be (laughs) a very beneficial podcast, but um, 
Well, very good. Now, I know you've you've been talking in this space. You've been educating for a lot of years in this space. You've got a number of different strategies and techniques that you share. You mentioned a, an 8% rule or an 8% strategy. Can you walk yeah. the listeners through that as well? Sure. In 2015, this is the first time when I was learning about these syndications and and really was getting professional, let's say, to an extent over passive income. And I said, okay, if I liquidate everything, this was my my thought process. If I sell all my single family homes, my rentals, even the house I was living in, if I just went liquid, I paid the realtor commissions, I paid the taxes, what would my net worth be? What would I actually have in the bank? Then what if I took that net worth and then I started diversifying into these private placements, 50K here, 50K there, 100K there, 25K there. Then what yield annualized could I reasonably expect? Now, obviously, the market was a lot different in 2015. To me, a very conservative cash flow at that time was 8%. And so I just reverse engineered the math. And I said, OK, 1.25 million, 8% a year, $100,000 that can allow me to leave oil and gas. And again, 1 million at 10%, you know, same outcome, right? At 4%, if you want to be conservative and go invest in bonds or something, 2.5 million at 4% is 100K. Mm -hmm. So you can run your own numbers, you can run your own percentages and figure this stuff out. But I decided to dedicate to that philosophy. And I still use it today because a lot of people, what I hear is, well, you can't just you know, get in a syndication today and get 8% cash flow. Well, that's true, yeah. but but two things. One, I have deals in my portfolio that have been in there for years and years that are cash flowing yeah. at 12, 13, 14, even 15% annualized. So if I get in a new deal today at 6% or even 5%, I'm still averaging the eight, right? And yeah. the other thing is that, Aside from syndications, there's things you can invest in with more yield. For example, I do note lending sometimes or hard money lending, and you can get, mm -hmm. let's say, 10% there. So again, I do a 6% here, I do a 10% here, and I'm still kind of meeting my average goal of living on 8% cash flow. So mm -hmm. I'm still able to maintain that. It's not a, a suggestion for anybody else, it's just something that I target in my own portfolio. And we're not even talking about equity upside potential. When these syndications sell, there's usually equity there. If you're doing like a value add business plan or something, historically, that's always been there, thankfully, in my investments. But I don't mm -hmm. bank on it. You know, when I'm looking at projections, I don't say, oh, this one's going to be a 20% IRR. I can't wait for that equity on the back end because nobody yeah. knows if it's going to be there or not. It's speculation. But cash flow focus can be much more stable and predictable than trying to predict equity or what stock's going to go up and double or things like that. Yeah. No one really has those answers. Yeah. So the old rule of thumb, the 4% rule that Wall Street and the stock market, yeah. those folks all talk about is, is um, and even that might not be achievable in those markets. So to move over to real estate and feel comfortable with 8%, that's, I mean, it's twice as effective as what you could be getting in the stock market. Not only that, Randy, but the, the, the traditional, let's define that for anyone that may not be familiar. So Wall Street yeah. traditionally says something to this effect. Put your money in your 401ks and IRAs and all these kind of you know publicly traded accounts. Okay, cool. Yes. Then you have a million bucks one day. Awesome. 
what they're saying is sell off a portion of your portfolio every year at 4% of whatever is in there and live on it. So you'd be living off $40,000 a year on a million dollar IRA, let's say. The problem with that is twofold. One, you're selling away your nest egg, right? So you have your million and now it's going. Now, the theory is that the market is always going up more than that, right? But as we know, in years like this year, you could be 20 or 30% down, which could be one of the worst times to sell and you have to sell. So you're locking in a loss on paper. I mean, not on paper. In in reality, you're locking in a loss at at, at a timing where you don't want to sell. So living on passive income is preserving your capital. Your 100,000 in that investment, your million dollars out there, that is sheltered and invested and not being touched. It's the passive income coming off of it, right? The the return yeah. on capital that you're living on. And that's a huge 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 difference, not to even dive yeah. into the weeds on tax advantages and everything else and leverage, but um yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. Well, and, and and I think even in in that using that strategy some years are going to be well over 4% growth in your portfolio. And I think the the standard or traditional investor would have a tendency to want to take out more than the 4%. Sure. And then when times are decreasing and it's less than 4%, as you mentioned, it hurts you that much more. So, so shifting gears a little bit here, I, um, as I shared with you earlier, I left my W2 earlier this year. Up yeah. to that point, I was primarily, thank you. Thank you. It's funny that People awesome. in the real estate space will say congratulations. People in the W-2 will say, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Just a different mindset <laughs> here. Um, but it's, um, I, I was a, a growth investor at that point where I was trying to drive and increase the nest egg and get larger and larger. And very quickly, I shifted over to becoming a cash flow investor. Um, yeah. So I started looking at other other types of investments like ATMs and and yep. uh, Bitcoin mining and those types of things. So I'm curious, can you talk um, maybe to some of the pluses and minuses of some of those higher higher performing or higher returning asset classes and maybe some of the downfalls as well? Because I believe there are some downfalls or, or negatives to that as well. Yeah, exactly. So with something like a syndication, so primarily what I focus on is a value add business plan, which means that we're buying a property, call it a 400 unit apartment building, and it's built in 1999 or 2000. It's, it's you know, 20 years old or whatever. And yeah. it the, the rents on that property are about 200 below market today. And it's because it's outdated. It's because people look at those units and go, Ugh, this looks like the year 2000. I don't want to live here. So we come in and we, you know, put uh, granite countertops and vinyl plank flooring and stainless appliances, and we pop the colors to whatever's modernized. And we do USB chargers and the outlets and covered car parking and packaged locker systems, added security, LED lighting, Nest thermostats, touch keypad locks. I know I'm going on and on. It's kind of good. <laughs> but, you know, we do yeah. a lot to enhance these properties to make them adequate to 2022 and 2023 and what people are looking for. And when we make the amenity spaces better and we put new gym equipment in and we, you know, we put cabanas and swings and barbecue pits and all these dog parks and great things around the community, you can justify raising the rents at that point because it's a much better and modernized community. And so that's how we're making money there. Now, the pros and cons are this you're usually not going to have 
the highest cash flow on a play like that in the first few years, as you have a lot of turnover and you're doing construction and the rents are already below market and all these things. But hopefully the cash flow starts ticking up year over year as you're able to effectively raise the rents. And then when you go to sell, you have the equity upside potential on the back end. So when you merge those two together and you look at a total annualized return. So at the end of five years, let's say when you sell, you look back at those five years, you look at all the money you collected from sale and cash flow. It, it could be, you know, 15 to 20% annualized if you just kind of run the math. So the total return, not including the tax advantages, which are great, can be very strong, but you're having to wait many years for that total outcome. And some of that is speculative, right? On what you're going to mm -hmm. sell for, or if you can sell for a certain amount. The benefit to something like hard money, note lending, ATM machines, things like this, is that you get a higher cash flow today, but you mm -hmm. don't have equity upside on the back end. So it comes down to the investor. What is your primary objective? Are you a retiree saying, I need money now to live on today. I need it. Mm -hmm. Well, then those plays might be appropriate for a person like that. But if you're saying, I'm younger, I'm not going to need this money for, you know, five, 10 years, or, you know, this is just supplemental income I don't need to live on, then a syndication might make a lot of sense. If you're willing to wait for a potential higher return, you know, you, you can do that. So there's a lot of different plays that you can do. I do. Uh, covered call strategies in the stock market. There's even um, ETFs, exchange traded funds mm -hmm. that'll sell covered calls every month. And that generates cash flow that gets distributed to investors. So that's a passive way to do that as well. So there's so many ways I could go on and on about, about passive income. So I always start with what are my goals and objectives? What kind yeah. of investment vehicle would be most appropriate to get me there? And if it's all equity, you might consider like a new development project. Usually mm -hmm. the projected end result should be a higher return, but you're taking a little more risk and you're not getting any cash flow throughout the hold period. Or same yeah. example as like flipping a house. You know, it's not cash flow producing in the meantime, but hopefully you get a larger return on the back end. So you got to decide if you're equity focused, cash flow focused, or if you like a hybrid combination of the two, which is what I tend to invest in mostly. Awesome. Thank you. You you are an education uh, an educator by trade, and you are fantastic at explaining things very simply, um, which is why I've been listening to you for years. So you do an amazing job. Thank you. Um, Thank you I would. Uh, can we talk for a moment about Ashcroft Capital? Um, Ashcroft was actually the second investment that I made, and a couple of the reasons I chose them were one large what I considered national brand, um, yeah. somebody who had a very large presence in the space. Two, it was a fund. So I was mm -hmm. a little more diversified across multiple asset classes. Yeah. Um, and three, really, um, Joe and the team are really just experts in the field. But um, that was my perspective for choosing Ashcroft. But can you talk a little bit about Ashcroft and what you guys do there as well? I know these are... Um, sure. No, these are 506C offerings. So yeah, they are. Yeah. Means. Yeah. We can, you know, solicit and talk about that, but I won't even get into the deal stuff. What I'll tell you is this, 
I met Joe pretty early on as well. Like you, I think Ashcroft was maybe a second to third, maybe even a fourth investment that I made in my journey. Met Joe when I lived in Denver. He runs the best ever uh, conference every year, and it used to be exclusively held in Denver. This next year, it'll be in Salt Lake City, Utah. Huge event, thousands of people. Uh, he's the author of the best ever apartment syndication book. Great book if you're looking to go active or passive. And uh, he's the uh, co-founder of Ashcroft Capital. So I had been doing deals as a limited partner with them for years. It was the team. It was the communication. It was the monthly distributions. It was the Sunbelt markets that they were in. It was the value add strategies that they would do. It was their track record. There was a lot of things that attracted me to that model. And when Joe had his firstborn, uh, Quinn, his daughter, a few few years ago, I reached out to him and said, look, man, my passion is educating people on these syndications. Obviously, you know me. I know you. I'm an investor, blah, blah, blah. I said, why don't we partner up somehow? You know, Call me whatever you want to call me. Let me get on stage. Let me get on podcasts. Let me do webinars. Let me write articles. Let me get the word out on such a larger scale than what I can do on my own. And so at first I was director of investor relations. So I was talking with thousands of investors every year, taking that off of Joe's plate. And then I hired out Evan Pulowski, who's now our manager over uh, investor relations. He's built the whole team under him. It's been fantastic to watch this team grow. But to your point, they used to do one deal at a time until they got too large to, to do that, where the deals were subscribing in one or two days. And they moved to a fund model during the pandemic because a lot of investors were on the sidelines and you know not knowing what to do, not really investing. So we lowered our minimum down to 25,000. We launched a fund model, which we ran in our own algorithm was 100,000 times, by the way, on our own portfolio. It ended up being 2.7 times less risky in a fund model compared to doing one deal at a time. So that really resonated well with our investors. And to your point, Randy, you get diversification of different asset types, different sizes of property, different geographic regions between Texas, yep. Florida, Georgia, now uh, North Carolina we've launched into. And so mm -hmm. it's a great way if you're looking for all the things that we're talking about, you know, uh, equity upside and monthly cash flow and tax advantages and all that kind of stuff. So they're just a national group, about 2.5 plus billion assets under management. They've taken 26 deals full cycle through the business plan. And um, we buy about six to 10 properties per year, depending on the year, you know, and that becomes an investment opportunity for accredited investors with a 25,000 minimum. So enough about, uh, about that, but that's kind of the backstory to how I got involved with them. Joe's an amazing guy. And it's been just awesome to watch them expand this team over time. Fantastic. God, I, I feel like I could, I have literally a dozen more questions I'd like to ask you, but I think we'll have to save it for another podcast because I'd like to keep them to about 30 minutes. Sure. But I do still have a, a couple of questions I'd like to go to pretty quickly um, mm -hmm. for the past investor who is really trying to get educated and gain their confidence in this space. What is what is what are some good podcasts? What are some good books that you might suggest to the to the listeners? Yeah, so Joe owns the brand. Joe Fairless owns the brand Best Ever, and so Best Ever Commercial Real Estate now BestEverCRE.com. I'm on his podcast. I ran at first a hundred episode series called the Actively Passive Investing Show, mm -hmm. and it was about the active components to being a passive investor. They were kind of longer episodes, 30, 40 minutes. Um, and the feedback I received after doing that for a few years was 
we love when you share your strategies, your formulas, when you get right to the point on here's the topic, here's why it's important, here's how you do it. And so I launched a series here a few months ago called Passive Investor Tips, and you can find it on the Best Ever Podcast. It's once a week episodes. I'm going to do another 100 episode series. And this is the best of the best, you guys. It's free education. I told Joe, I said, here's here's what I want to do, Joe. I said, I want to make basically a program for passive investors to teach them the, the tips, tricks, mindset, philosophy, strategies, formulas. And I want to give that away for free. I don't want to market this to something to sell where you would charge somebody $5,000 to buy this program and learn how to be a, an LP. I want to do it for free and I want to do it over time and I want to do it through your podcast. So that's a great one. I know it's kind of a shameless plug yeah. that I'm saying my own podcast, no. but honestly, it's, 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 it's my passion packed into five to seven minute episodes. And so you can check that out. Uh, passive investor tips. There's so many good podcasts out there, you guys. I mean, I could sit here and name you 25, but um, that's, that's easy to search online. So uh, best ever at large is a great podcast platform. Awesome. Awesome. Very good. And then um, kind of a fun one here and a little more personal. Any any uh, personal bucket list items that you've res- recently checked off your list and or anything you're planning on checking off in the near future? Yeah. So this year has been the, the year of, of fatherhood. We had our firstborn yeah. um, the December 31st, New Year's Eve. So he's 11 months old. Thank you. And so we, we sat out and we said, our passion, our other passion, my wife and I is travel, international travel. So we said, when he turns one, we're going to take him on an international trip. Well, we we just couldn't wait. So we took him to Turks and Caicos when he was seven months old. And uh, that was a ton of fun. So we checked that off the list, but I still, we're planning another trip in the next month or so to take him on another international trip exclusively for his birthday. So for us, that's Fantastic. what we want to instill in him is different cultures, different values, and just that kind of exposure. Though he probably won't remember it being one years old, but, uh, <laughs> you know, we want yeah. to do it anyway. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And what's what an amazing story that you're able to share this with your wife and your, your newborn and really create a life all through passive investing, ultimately. So, um, well, very good. Well, yeah, th- thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate the time that you spent with us, as I mentioned. You're just an amazing educator and you do just such a great job explaining things. So to our listeners, I definitely encourage you to reach out to Travis. But Travis, thanks so much for being on the show. We really do appreciate it. Thank you, Randy. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. All right. And to our listeners, as I mentioned, definitely connect with Travis, listen to his podcast, connect with him on social. He provides just a tremendous amount of content. I've learned so much from Travis over the years. Um, he even takes phone calls and schedules times with folks. So, so I would encourage you to reach out. And again, I would always just say, continue your journey on the education path. Um, continue to gain the education and the confidence in the space. Because um, once you make that first passive investment, we are so confident that you'll continue to do so. And it's going to have amazing impacts on your life. So thank you for joining us today. And uh, until our next episode, thank you. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode of The Gentle Art of Crushing It. It was an amazing episode. We know we sure learned a lot, and we hope you did as well. We want to take a second and thank you so much for viewing or listening to this episode. And please just know that we only ask for one favor, and that is to make this life magnificent. Thank you, and have a wonderful day.